First Peter chapter 1, we're looking at the title of my message this morning, verses 1 through 9, is Principles for Pain. Principles for Pain. Yes, Principles for Pain. We're going to learn about how to, how to deal with struggles and trials and pain when we have in life. And a uh, little background on this, let's, let's first of all we'll talk about Peter. Peter's one of my favorite characters in the entire Bible. Uh, besides Jesus, I think he probably is one of my favorite characters. One of the reasons he's one of my favorite characters is because he loved Jesus. He loved Jesus. He was one of Jesus' best friends. I love Jesus too, and I love people that love Jesus. And Peter loved Jesus. He was a part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Peter was the one that was with Jesus as Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and he was brought to his glorified state. And uh, Peter actually got to see Jesus in, uh, on his three years of public ministry in his glorified state on the Mount of, Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, along with uh, James and John, were, was brought into that uh, inner room with Jairus' daughter, where Jairus' daughter died. Remember the story? She died. And Jesus rose her from the dead. And, and Jesus purposely wanted to show his best friends, Peter, James, and John, his power. Peter had the ability to see that. He was there for that. Peter was also with Jesus when Jesus needed his support in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. And Jesus was facing his, his time of affliction and the time of actually sweating bloods, be, blood because of the stress he was under. And he had Peter come with him to the Garden of Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John to, to, to basically pray for Jesus. Peter was one of Jesus' best friends. But also I love Peter because not only did he love Jesus, but I love Peter because he had some ups and he had some downs. He had what I would call foot-in-the-mouth disease. I mean, one minute he's confessing Christ as, as the Savior, as the living Christ, the Savior of the world. And, and Jesus said to Peter, Peter, upon your confession, upon this rock, I will build my church. Big up. And then right after that, right in the gospel, he tries to talk Jesus out of the cross. He said, no, Lord, you must not go to the cross. And, and Jesus had to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Talk about an up and a down, huh? And one minute, Peter's walking on water. He's out there on the Sea of Galilee, walking on water with Jesus. And the next minute, he gets his eyes off of Jesus, and he's sinking like he is, a rock. Peter the rock, sank like a rock. One minute, Peter is, you know, cutting a guy's ear off because he's going after Jesus to crucify him. He, he was bold enough. All the other disciples were like this. Peter gets his sword out and cuts the guy's ear off. Love Peter. And then the next same night, he's betraying Christ three times. Am I the only one in here that can relate to Peter? I mean, we have our ups and we have our downs. Peter was right there. But Peter also was the one that Jesus came to. After, his, after he denied him three times, Jesus in his post-resurrection appearance appeared to Peter and he actually told the angels, go tell the disciples I've risen from the grave. He told, the angels told that to Mary Magdalene, go tell the disciples I, I've risen from the grave and he singled him out and said, and tell Peter. And then he met with Peter on that shore of Galilee, Sea of Galilee, and he had breakfast with Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, you know I love you, Lord. Well, then tend my lambs. Peter, do you, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Then shepherd my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I, I love you, Lord. Then, then feed my sheep. You know what Jesus was doing there? He was restoring Peter back to a position of leadership even after his failure. 
Can you relate to Peter? I love Peter. When I get to heaven, one of the, besides meeting Jesus first and seeing him face to face, I'm going to look, I'm going to look, look up Peter. I'm going to spend some time on, on that streets of gold with Peter because he's, he's, he's quite a guy. We're going to learn some things from Peter here. This epistle is amazing. And this amazing thing about Peter is he had a, he had a, a, a blue-collar background. He was a fisherman. He was, a, according to tradition, he was a big, strong, burly kind of guy, a man's man kind of guy. But he was also a man that had been with Jesus and a man that learned much from three years of discipleship with Jesus. And we're going to learn from Peter that even though he was uneducated in schools, Hebrew schools or whatever else, he was a man that learned much. And he's going to teach us much as we go through this epistle. You ready to get into church? All right, so we're going to learn about uh, principles for pain. I'm going to give you five principles from Peter this morning. How to deal with trials and suffering and things when life throws curveballs at you. How do you deal with it? Now, we're going to see this from Peter because Peter was addressing, uh, we're going to see Christians that were spread out across the Roman Empire because of persecution. The persecution started with religious leaders. Apostle Paul actually... B.C., before Christ, was Saul, and according to the book of Acts, he began this great persecution against Christians. And so Christians were dispersed out of the city of Jerusalem all throughout the Roman Empire, and they were being persecuted by these religious leaders that were against Christ. But now, when Peter has been written in 1 Peter, there was also a second wave of persecution, and that came from the Roman Empire. 64 A.D., the emperor Nero lit, according to historians, lit the city on fire himself because he was a builder and he didn't have anything else to build. So he burned his own city to the ground so he'd build some more things, more buildings. But then he got in trouble because the word got out that he burned his own city to the ground. And so you know what he did? He blamed the Roman fire on Christians. And Christians began the scapegoat. It began to be the scapegoat. And so what happened then is for the next several hundred years, Christians were being persecuted by their own place they lived in the Roman Empire. And that's when the, the amphitheater started having uh, lions and, and, the, and the Christians being thrown out to the lions. And Christians were being used as torches for Roman dinner parties. And Christians were being crucified. And so this wave of persecution is just starting to hit when Peter wrote this letter. So he's going to address these Christians and give them what they need to persevere through the persecution and the trials that they're going to face in the Roman Empire and as they were facing them right then when he's writing them. So to have that context in mind as we go through that scripture. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Here we go. It says, Peter, there it is, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace, notice, be yours in the what? Fullest measure. Now this is Paul, uh, Peter's introduction and he introduces himself, obviously, as Peter. Interesting, Peter, his name meant rock. And remember, Jesus said, upon this rock, upon your confession, Peter, of me as the Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And now Peter is saying this. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, but he's addressing aliens. Interesting. He called Christians aliens. Two reasons why Christians were aliens. One is because they were being uh, 
pushed out of their cities because of persecution, and they were all over the, they were, they were scattered abroad all over the Roman Empire. Interesting, the word scattered there means diaspora. It means the scattering of seed. And as these Christians were being pushed out throughout the Roman Empire, they were actually seed that God was planting to establish churches all over the Roman Empire. God causes all things to work together for the good. Even their persecution caused them to be pushed out of the, the comfort of Jerusalem into the Roman Empire, and churches were being planted over the whole Roman Empire because they were scattered abroad. But notice what he says about them. They're aliens. They're aliens because they're in foreign cities, but they're also aliens because they're Christians. And as Christians, we don't belong here. Did you know that? Your home is not earth. We're aliens. E.T., send me home. Some of you don't even remember that movie, do you? I'm dating myself again. But we are aliens. Why are we aliens? Because our home is heaven. Our home is heaven. Philippians tells us that. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has subject all things to himself. So he says we're aliens, but we're not only aliens because our home is heaven, but also we're in process. Look at the process that we're going through as Christians in this world. First of all, the process is that God knows us that we're chosen. We're, we're, We're in this process of being the chosen people of God. You know what that means? God has rescued us from the darkness of this world, and he chose us to be his. Of all the people in the world, you know there's, what, 7, 8 billion people in the world, only 10% of the 7, 8 billion people in the world, only 10% say they're born-again believing Christians. If you're a part of that 10%, God has rescued you from the darkness of the world, and he chose you, chose you. How did he, well, that's not fair. Why does he choose some people and other, not other people? Well, because it's according, it says they're according to his foreknowledge. You know what that tells us about God? God, in his omniscience, knew in choosing you that you would choose him. God, it says, before the foundation of the world, he chose you. But before the foundation of the world, in his foreknowledge, he knew that you would choose him. How does that work? I don't know. I, I cannot, in my finite mind, describe to you an infinite God. One of the attributes of God is he is incomprehensible. And if you're trying to figure out this thing of God choosing you in his foreknowledge, knowing that you would choose him, hey, good luck with that. His ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we just, out of faith, got to understand, God chose you. And I tell you what, I look back on how God chose me, I was set up. When I came to Christ in 1978, I was the farthest lost teenager around. But God surrounded me with Christians that witnessed to me, shared Christ to me, and set an example of the light of Jesus Christ in their lives to me. And everywhere I turned for a few months before I came to Christ, somebody was witnessing to me because God chose me. And he brought me out of darkness into his marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of him for the rest of my life. And if you're a Christian today, you need to realize God chose you. He loves you. He's adopted you into his family. 
And he's given you not a spirit of fear that leads to slavery again, but a spirit of sonship by which you could cry out, Abba, Father. And his spirit bears witness to your spirit that you're a child of God. That's the process we're in. We're in this process of being adopted, chosen people of God. And then also it says we're not only chosen, but it's according to the foreknowledge of the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ. What that says is the Holy Spirit, after we're chosen by God, this process we're in, he's, he's sanctifying us. He's making us holy. And we can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And God is working in us for his will and his good pleasure by the Holy Spirit to make us more like Christ. And he's doing this process of sanctification, and that is day by day as we submit to him, he's making us more like Jesus. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. But then also we're sprinkled, notice there, it was sprinkled with his blood so that the grace and peace might be ours in the fullest measure. Now what that's saying is that we have this process too of the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing us, not from some, all of our sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, you need to understand, your sin is as far from you as the east is from the west. Your sin, even though your sin is as scarlet, you are a sinner, I am a sinner, we are sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ and we are washed because God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what does this have to do with pain? What does this have to do with trials? What does this have to do when life throws hard times at us? We need the first principle. If, if we're gonna uh, successfully endure trials in life, we need to understand who we are. Remember who you are. We need to remember that we're chosen by God. No matter what life throws us, we're his chosen children. We're adopted in his family. We have God as our father, and he's with us. And he's not only with us, he's for us. And we don't have to fear because he is with us. We're a part of his chosen people. We need to remember that the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us in the midst of the trials that we're facing. We need to remember that we're, we're forgiven we're, we're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that will help us in the trials we face because we keep our perspective of who we are. We remember who we are. Romans 8, 18, Paul said this, in the midst of trials he was in, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's gonna be revealed. We gotta remember who we are. We gotta keep our perspective. We, this, we are chosen by God, and he is with us, and he's for us, and he's doing a work in our lives by the Holy Spirit, and that's okay. The trials we face, that's okay. That's okay. We need to recalibrate sometimes. That's part of the purpose of church, too, by the way. When we get in God's house, we remember our living God, as we sang about. We remember our living hope. We remember the best is yet to come. We remember who we are. Remember who we are. I remember one of the toughest trials I went through was when my dad suddenly and unexpectedly died. I, I, he started having some health problems. I flew back up to Chicago, visited him in the hospital. Next day, he was gone. Died. I was like a sucker punch, and I didn't see it coming. And I remember that weekend after the funeral, we did the funeral on Saturday, that weekend, that Sunday, I was, I was dealing with, struggling with this whole thing of losing my dad unexpectedly and suddenly like that. I mean, it, it just sucker punched me, and, I, and God woke me up early that Sunday morning, and God spoke to me. You know how God speaks to your spirit sometimes? 
He didn't speak audibly. He just, I sensed in my spirit God leading me, and God said this, get yourself in church. And I, I, it was actually earlier, so it was about 6 in the morning. I got up. It was a December snow, snow about on the ground day in Chicago. And I, my flesh was saying, no, sleep in. Been through a lot this weekend. The Holy Spirit just kept, get yourself in church. So at 6 o'clock in the morning, I got up. And I, I went through the, I think, we, I think my mom still had one of those phone books with yellow pages. Remember any phone books with yellow pages? Been a long time, hadn't it? And this was about 15 years ago. And so I looked in the yellow pages and I said, I'm going to find, a, find an early service to go to. And there was, a, there was actually a, a, a gospel African-American church that was right around the corner from my mom's house. It was in a mall. And they had a 7 a.m. service. And so I got myself up and I'm going, I'm going to church. Seven o'clock service, it would be a small service, it would be, you know, just a few people. I drive through the snow to this mall, and there was over a thousand people at church at seven o'clock in the morning. I'm going, this is cool. And the choir came out, and the roof came off, and it was an awesome time of worship for an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. And I go, this, and you know what happened during that whole service as the gospel's choir was just bringing it, and the pastor had a great message. I got refocused. I remembered in the midst of the trial of losing my dad, I remember who I was. I'm chosen by God. I'm, 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 I'm sanctified by God. He's working in my life no matter what life throws at me. And not only that, I'm sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I am a saved sinner, yes, but I am saved and get my focus back on heaven. And that's what happened. And so I was so cool that by the time the service was over, it was, it was, I was walking on the service at 9 a.m. I go, hey, I'm going to do a double header. I'm going to find another church to go to. And I went to Calvary Memorial Bible Church, which was right in Oak Park, Illinois, right over the corner of my mom's house also. And I did another church service because that helped me remember who I was in the midst of that loss. You see that principle? We need to remember who we are when life is tough. Remember that we are chosen by God. We're aliens. Soon and soon, soon and very soon, we're going to see our king. We're going to be in heaven because we're aliens here on earth. And not only that, we have the blood of Jesus covering us from all our sins. And we have the work of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that helps us endure when the trials come. So that's the first principle. Remember who you are. And then verse 3, great verses. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be what? Born again to, here's our song. I think uh, Phil Wickham actually got his words for the song, the last song we sang from this verse. We caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. See what Peter's telling us here? We should be people that bless God because we have been, first of all, born again. What does it mean to be born again? Born again, according to Jesus in John chapter 3, is, is this process that when you come to Christ and put saving faith in Jesus Christ, you're born into the spiritual world. The word born again literally means to be born from above, to be born spiritually. And here's what happens. You go from just living in the flesh to living in the spirit. You go from just having an understanding of the physical world to having now an understanding of the spiritual world because you're born again. And what happens when you put a saving faith in Jesus Christ, you enter into a whole new world. It's a spiritual world. And it's wonderful because all of a sudden you have spiritual eyes. 
to see things you never saw before when, when you were just living in the physical. All of a sudden, you have spiritual ears to hear things you never were able to hear before because the Spirit is giving you ears to hear what the Spirit wants to say to you now. It's wonderful. You go from just having physical parents because you've just been physically born to having, having God as your parent, your heavenly Father, because you've been adopted into his family, because you, you've, you've entered into his family of God through being born again. We've been born again. And notice, we've been born again to what? We've been born again to a living hope. The hope is that Christ in us is what? It's a hope of glory, man. We have this living hope. It's a hope that's never going to die because Jesus said, I am the resurrection of life, and he who believes in me, even though he dies, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's our living hope. And notice the, the ingredients of that living hope. Go back to what uh, characterizes that living hope. It's an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled. In other words, it's, it's something that's not going to be corrupted. It's not something that's going to be disintegrated. It's, it's imperishable. It's, it's undefiled. Also, it's a hope that's not going to fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's a reservation. Actually, the, uh, one of the versions says it's kept Literally translated, it's guarded by God for you in heaven. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said in John chapter 14, he, he put it very simply. He said, uh, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself. And that where I am, there you may be also. You have that reservation in heaven. Jesus has prepared a place for you. And not only that, it's a place that's undefiled. It's a place that's reserved. You, got, you have reservations in heaven awaiting you. So what's the second principle for enduring trials and dealing with pain? Very simple. It, it says, keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the prize and remember, listen, Christians, listen, the best is yet to come. You got reservations in heaven. And you know what? It helps us as we keep our eyes on the prize, it helps us remember that this stuff we're going through is just a little speck on the time span of eternity, and the best is yet to come. This is, for Christians, this life is as bad as it's going to get. Because we're going to a place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more sorrow, a place where God's going to wipe away every tear, a place where we're going to see Jesus face to face, and we too will be like him. And I say amen to that. Amen, church? It's right around the corner, guys. The best is yet to come, so keep your eyes on the prize. It reminds me when I was in college. I went to college, and after my sophomore year in college, I realized I was being called into the ministry. I had my eyes on the prize of going to seminary. But U of I, the college I was at, really worldly, really worldly. It had the largest fraternity and sorority system uh, in the whole country. And I don't know about the colleges you went to, but the fraternities and sororities at U of I, they were worldly. It was like Animal House times 10. And they were all over the place. 
And I never got pulled into the, uh, to the animal houses, but I, I remember there was a, just in dorms, and I lived with some guys in houses and stuff. It was like spiritual warfare all four years of college. And I remember it's like, Lord, why did you send me here? Well, part of the reason was I was to be a witness. We started Bible studies in our dormitories, and we had opportunity to do ministry, led a lot of people to Christ, but it was constant warfare for four years. Constant. And I remember one whole semester, my sophomore year, I just got pulled into it. I backslid for a whole semester. It was a battle. And I remember as I was going through this, I remember talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, should I even be here? And the Lord said, hey, just endure, go through, go through this thing, and then you're going to be called to, to go to seminary, and then you're going to be called in ministry. And I remember getting through the four years of college and just, I felt like a fish out of the water in that, in that college, 45,000 students, worldly, worldly, worldly place. And then the, the Lord brought me through the four years, and then I was called to go to Fuller Theological Seminary to train for the ministry. I remember riding my motorcycle all the way across the country. I didn't even have a car. I just had a motorcycle. I put all my life's belongings on a knapsack and saddlebags on the motorcycle. I got on the motorcycle and I drove four days all the way to Southern California. I got to Southern California. I'll never forget because I remember driving into Southern California. This was in everybody was moving to Southern California in the 80s. It was the place to, the, the country tilted and everybody wanted to go to Southern California. And I remember driving in, passing the state lines, and there was a bumper sticker, so I drive my motorcycle right in front of me. It says, welcome to California. Now go home. Because everybody was moving there. And it's like, stay out of our states. But I remember getting there. And I remember going through the mountains on my motorcycle and then coming into the valley and getting to Pasadena where the seminary is at. And I'm going, wow, this is cool. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And then I remember the first weekend going to Malibu and going to the beach. I feel like I was in heaven with the beautiful geography and everything else. And then I remember school starting. And the very first class I had was New Testament Greek. Now, that wasn't so great because I never had Greek. And there's a reason why they say this is all Greek to me. It's very difficult. But I remember we started every class. I remember being at U of I and having like agnostic, atheist, and crazy philosophy professors, people lost as a rock trying to teach us. And I remember our first class at Fuller Seminary, we started with worship. Two guys and a guitar. We spent 20 minutes in worship and prayer before, the, before we got into any parts of the class. I go, wow, I'm in heaven. No, you're just at Fuller Seminary. But I felt like I was in heaven. And what, 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 I endured those four years of craziness and world and all this stuff, but I got to seminary, and I, and I was in classes with people from 60 different nations that were going back to those nations to do missions and serve the Lord, and people were on fire all around me. And you know what I was thinking about, the best is yet to come? I was thinking about that transition from the worldliness of U of I to the glory of being in this school with people from 60 nations, missionaries and pastors and people that love Jesus. I'm thinking, that's just a little glimpse of all that we're going to experience when we get to heaven. It's going to be glorious. Every tribe and every nation around the throne of God singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. For the rest of eternity, being with people that love Jesus Christ and worship Jesus Christ and no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. Well, hey, listen, the best is yet to come. So let's keep that in mind when life is hard and trials come. The best is yet to come. 
Christ in us is the hope of glory. We have a living hope that's undefiled, imperishable, that's reserved in heaven for us. Let me say it again. The best is yet to come. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. That'll help us in the trials that we face. Now going back to our scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The third principle, very important principle as we go through this, is we are protected by the power of God. When trials come, understand God's got it. 365 times throughout the Bible, we're told to fear not. Almost all the times we're told to fear not. Oftentimes, almost all the times, when God says fear not, he couples it with the the statement, I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. And not only is he with us, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's the third principle. When trials come, realize we're protected. We're protected by the power of God. And if God be for us, who could be against us, right? And my go-to verses when I go to the hospital and I visit people and I pray for people that are in the midst of affliction and really tough trials is Psalm 91. And I'll read through Psalm 91 as I'm visiting people in the hospital because in the midst of that psalm it says, remember this, Christian, uh, there's angels given charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Let me read some of Psalm 91 to you to remind us that we're protected by God. Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence. That's a good word for us today with this virus, huh? Of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. If you have made, notice, you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tents. For he will give his angels, here it is, he will give his angels charge concerning you to what? To guard you in all your ways. Remember one of the hospital visits I had about 15 plus years ago was a young man um, who played football for Gilbert High School. And he had an accident in a football field and he broke his neck. And I remember visiting him in uh, Lexham Medical Center he was only 17 years old, and might have only been 16, and his football career over. And I remember he was, had that halo around his neck, you know, because his, he broke his neck, and he had all kinds of trials going on. And I remember sitting at his bed and reading Psalm 91, and just trying to reassure him. He'd been coming to our church. I said, trying to reassure him, God's got this. God's protecting you, and he will protect you. God will carry you through this. He'll be your shepherd. And not only that, he's given angels charge concerning you to guard you, and he, you're under his protection right now. And I prayed for him and left the hospital. A little while later, several months later, 
I saw him. He was out and, out and around, and he had healed, and he was better. And he had gotten through the broken neck. The halo was gone, everything else. And he had to show me something. And I said, what do you got to show me? Pulled up his sleeve like this. Psalm 91. <laughs> he had the verse. He's given angels charge concerning me to guard me in all your ways. I go, that's a pretty cool tattoo. Awesome. And I go, man, he was actually listening to the pastor as I read that scripture. Because he had the very verse I read him about angels given charge concerning him to guard him in all his ways. And that, just that knowledge, there was angels in that hospital room guarding him and protecting him, helped him through that time. And it will help us also. Amen? And then it goes on. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And it says this. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while... If, he's, if necessary, you have been distressed by various, here it is, various trials so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, in glory, in honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what these verses are saying is even when trials come, we need to greatly rejoice. Why? Because God is a heavenly goldsmith that's using those trials to refine our faith. That's what it's saying right there. It says we should rejoice in trials because God will use those trials, even though it's distressing, the trials as a proof of faith. Now the word proof there, it's, it's a genuineness. Trials prove the genuineness of your faith. Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until they're in hot water. It's true. They prove your faith. And they prove the genuineness of your faith, but also it talks about the, the golden qualities. It's more precious than gold, your faith. And here's what happens. As you endure trials, as you persevere through trials, what God does is he refines your faith through the fire of those trials to be like gold. Now goldsmiths in that culture, what they would do is they would take gold and they'd put it in fire and they'd, they'd melt the gold and then they'd get the dross and the impurities off the gold, and they'd keep uh, getting the impurities off the gold to the place where they could finally see their reflection in the gold. And when they could see the, their face in the gold reflection, they go, it's pure now. See the analogy for us? God is allowing the fire of trials to burn away the dross so he could see the reflection of his face in our lives. We've been predestined, Romans 8, 29, we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And one of the things that will conform us to the image of Christ is the fire of trials. And that's where we're told, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, there it is again, produces endurance. And let that endurance have its perfect result that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And here's the bottom line. Christians, listen to me. This is the bottom line. God is more concerned about your Christ-likeness than he is your comfort. And God will allow some trials in your life because he knows those trials will produce Christ-likeness more than anything. Hey, when have you grown the most as Christians? Has it been in times of prosperity? Has it been times where everything's fine? Times we grow the most is not in prosperity, it's in adversity. When those trials come, 
Many of us in this room wouldn't even be Christians today if it wasn't for a trial that broke you to the point that it drove you to Christ. It's true for my life. One of the darkest, downest times of my life is when I came to Christ. And, and the growth spurts, when I look back on my spiritual pilgrimage, the growth spurts have always been times that were difficult that I had to cling to Christ and stay close to Christ just to make it through the trial. And you grow through that. Chinese Christians that have been a part of the underground church that have been persecuted for decades now say this, that the trials we face as persecuted Christians in this country are like nails that are driven deeper, in, uh, deeper through trials in our relationship with Christ. And those nails get driven deeper into that relationship with Christ through the trials that we face. And so that's the next principle is, is we need to remember in the midst of the trials that we face that there's, there's a purpose there's a purpose in your pain, and the purpose is to make you more like Jesus. And trials will do that golden-like quality of faith as we endure through those trials. Let's close it up now. And now it says in verse 8 and 9, and though you have not seen him, what does it say? Verse 8, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you what? You believe in him, and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining is the outcome, here it is, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's the last principle, very important. Keep the faith. Keep the faith with trials. We got a choice to make when trials come. Are we going to draw closer to Christ or are we going to run away from Christ? Are we going to run to Christ or are we going to walk away from Christ? Jesus says through his words, he is a strong tower and the righteous run into it. And when trials come, Jesus wants to be our refuge, but we got to choose to run to him instead of run away from him. And I've seen it go both ways. I've seen when trials come on some Christians, they backslide and they get mad at God, they get disappointed with God, and they turn from God. But I've seen other Christians, when trials come, they run closer to God and they grow because of those trials. But we need to be people of faith. And what are people of faith? People of faith are people that even though we don't see God, we believe in him. And even though we don't see him, we trust him. And we love him. Because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, says the definition of faith is this. Faith is an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not even yet seen. And Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Faith. And I tell you what, one of the key ingredients to enduring successfully through trials and through tough times as they come throughout life is we got to keep the faith. we got to be, again, like Job, who said, God, even if you slay me, yet will I put my trust in you. Even though I don't understand this, God, I know that my Redeemer lives. In, 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 in the future, I'm going to see him. And so we need to keep the faith. We need to be like Paul that says, hey, I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm going to finish the course. I'm going to keep the faith. And that will help us in the trials we face. Amen? Five principles for, for enduring trials. Five principles for pain. Number one, remember who you are. You're a Christian. 
You're an alien in this world. The best is, and, and, and because you're an alien in the world, you remember that, hey, the best is yet to come. And so that's the second principle. Keep your eyes on the prize because the best is yet to come. Number three, remember that you're protected by the power of God. There's even angels given charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. He wants to be your refuge. He wants to be the person you run to. Number four, there's a purpose in your pain, and that's to make you more like Jesus. He's in the process of conforming you to his image, and he uses adversity and trials to make you more like Christ. Number five, probably the most important of the five principles. Very important, church. Midst of trials. Keep the faith. Keep fighting. Fight the good fight. Finish the course. Keep the faith. Amen? And some of you here this morning, there might be some people here this morning, I don't know, might be someone here this morning that you need to be born again. Maybe you've come to Calvary for a while, but you don't know what I'm talking about because it's just whew, going over your head because you haven't been born into the spiritual world yet. Well, let today be your day. And I'm going to give you an opportunity in this prayer time to be born again. Simple. You just need to admit that you're a sinner. You need to trust Christ. Then you need to receive Christ. Because the Bible says, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And if you've never done that, make today be your day. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up front or anything. All I'm going to ask you to do is to pray a simple prayer. It's called the sinner's prayer. And I'll lead you in that prayer this morning if you want to pray that prayer. Just raise your hand and say, Pastor John, lead me in this prayer as we pray. And I'll lead you in that prayer. And it will be an opportunity for you to be born again to a living hope. Let's pray.